All right, well, good morning. Welcome, Anthem Church. It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders, and it's a joy to be jumping into a new series together today. First Peter's what's coming up next, but we decided, uh, Eric and I, we, we've been doing some talking and looking at all the different things that are going on uh, in the church right now, not just ours, but at large. And man, we, we have recognized that there are some challenges that we're facing. And so we decided to take a little three-week pause and talk about the healthy body. We're jumping into this series because we started asking this question of what does it look like to flourish right now? We see these pictures throughout scripture. We see it in Psalm 1 of this tree that's planted by a stream of living water or a stream of water that, that produces its fruit and its leaf does not wither. And we see in John 7 this invitation for someone to um, be a conduit from within their soul will pour forth springs of living water. And as we've looked around right now, it's been challenging to see those things really clearly at this moment. And we recognize that one of the main pictures, uh, word pictures that we get in scripture for the church uh, is a body. And so in 1 Corinthians 12 and then in Romans 12, we see this, this beautiful imagery, this body metaphor uh, of, of the church being a body and individually members of it. And our hope during this series is that we'll be able to look at Jesus, how he calls us to live and be willing to take that call seriously in how he's inviting us to pursue body life, to engage with the one another's. You're gonna hear us talk about the one another's a lot in this series because that's one of the things that's been challenging in this time is how do we live out the one another's right here, right now, amidst this COVID season? And that's been a huge challenge. So this series, it's called The Healthy Body. How easy is it to have a healthy body? Or maybe the question might be suited better this way. How easy is it to have an unhealthy body? Super easy, right? Especially right now in quarantine. Many, peop many, people, many people's main thought for the day is, what am I going to cook or order in tonight? And how early is too early to have a drink? is what many people are thinking. It's like one of the things that they're going through right now, even as maybe they're watching this, they're thinking, oh man, maybe we can eat a good meal later tonight, whatever it might be. But right now, having an unhealthy body is relatively easy. Having a healthy body takes work. I mean, this is a prime example. I'm a good specimen. Having a healthy body is hard. Some of you guys are you know, fantastic specimens of health and you barely do anything. And for some reason, God gave you amazing metabolism and it's easier for you to have a healthy body. But just because your outsides look well doesn't necessarily mean that your insides are well. Having a healthy body takes work. Right now, Keely and I, we're actually taking the next 30 days. We're what are we, like eight days into this? And we're doing a 30-day cleanse. I don't like things like this. And if I look like I might be a little bit upset, that's because I haven't had sugar, coffee, gluten in like eight days. And like I feel like just saying that is making me want to sweat. But the reality is, it's hard. And if we aren't willing to put in work, it's just going to continue to be unhealthy. 
So we're doing this 30-day cleanse in order to help reset. You see, for us, we, we recognize that we have some unhealthy eating patterns. We recognize that sometimes our patterns aren't as healthy as maybe we'd like them to be. And instead of just continuing down this path of unhealth, we want to try and do something to kind of jolt out of it. And that's our hope a little bit with this series. We want to have a good look at what does it look like to be a healthy body. We want to be willing to, in some extent, maybe take these next three weeks and hit the reset button. That we might focus in on what God has for us. And starting this cleanse, we had to empty out some of our cupboards and get rid of some of the junk that is unnecessary. And maybe during this series, we might need to do a little of that ourselves. Look through, be willing to pull out the junk in the cupboard that is not beneficial for your health and more importantly, the health of the body. So the first thing we're gonna look at today and in our series is the healthy body is unified and lives in harmony. This duo of unity and harmony is important right off the top. Sometimes when we think of unity, we think that we all need to be the same, like the exact same, like clone status, like dress the same, have the same undergarments, have everything the same. And that is not what unity is. Unity at its core is becoming whole. It's being made whole. To be one. And I really love the combination with the word harmony. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, musical terms, and, but you guys, have, you guys have heard, when you hear, like, when you think of one of the first albums, at least for me, that I ever bought, you want to know what it was? It was Boys to Men. Those guys can sing some killer harmony. But if they, the reality is, if, if, everybody, if they were all singing the exact same thing, they would just be singing one note. And the reality is we are all members of the body, of the family of God. We're individually members of it. We all are singing different tones and tunes. And when we come together and we live as we ought, we make beautiful harmony together, creating this wonderful, wonderful music. But sometimes, I don't know if you guys have ever been around somebody who is tone deaf or maybe somebody who's trying to sing harmony but isn't really hitting the harmony. It does something. It creates what's called dissonance where there's this uncomfortable feeling. You've heard it even if you don't know what it is. You're like, oop, that was off. Keely is not the world's greatest singer, but she can know and hear when somebody is out of tune. And so when it comes to living in unity and harmony together, it's the idea of coming together almost like a symphony and creating this beautiful sound together that ultimately paints a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So with that, I want us to get into John 17 because I, I want us to look at what Jesus has to say about unity, us to be reminded that he's, he actually praise for you and I. And we're going to read some of that together. We're going to press into this. We are going to do our best to make, like Paul says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort or be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
and the bond of peace. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're in John 17. In verse 11, he says this, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That we, they may be unified. That's so important. Why does he want us to be one? Because that's how God himself is in the Godhead. They are together. There is a wholeness, a completeness there. Jumping down to verses 20 through 26, I do not ask for these only. This is for you and I now. This is actually Jesus' prayer while on earth for you and me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So we start with Jesus. This is his high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross. This prayer from Jesus is filled with thankfulness to God as well as a prophetic prayer for you and I and his church. And what is one of the main things that he prays for? He prays for unity. Why does he pray for unity? Yes, that others would know Jesus. That is one of the pieces to the puzzle for sure. But I actually think it's deeper than that. He prays for unity because he wants all that believe in his name to be able to experience the togetherness, the withness, the wholeness, the foreness that Jesus has with the Father. He prays for unity for you and I, almost as though unity is one of the best things that we could possibly have. It's one of the most precious things that the God has, Godhead has, and he wants to share it with us. That's amazing. He prays that we would be one as the Godhead is one. He prays that you and I, that we would be unified. Jesus longs for all his sons and daughters to be one. You and I to be one. Not the same to be one, to be whole. Do we desire this? Do we desire to be unified? I think this is a little bit of a silly question, but I, there is something within our culture that actually says, no, I don't want to be unified. Just look around. It doesn't even feel like our nation wants to be unified right now. It feels like we'd rather be purely individuals perhaps more than unified in a body. 
do we want to be whole and stay whole? And this unity, like we mentioned before, of course is important because it also declares to the world that we belong to Jesus. When we are unified, the world recognizes that we belong to him. And the adverse to this is true also, or the opposite is true to this also. If we are not unified, what sort of picture are we painting of Jesus? Remember the word picture of the harmony. When we're not unified, in essence, what's happening is there's dissonance. People will hear and they will see something's off. Something's, something's wrong. And so Jesus prays for us that we would be unified. Now, how can we be unified? The cross of Christ is the only thing that makes unity possible, not you. The cross of Christ makes unity possible, not you. Meaning, you cannot make unity possible. It alone is what Jesus has done. It's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we are able to pursue unity today. Of course, I long for the entire world to be unified, to be made whole, at peace with God and with one another, and we continue to hope and pray and play our part in that mission. However, we must start with one another. How is unity possible? How did it come? Was it through force? Was it from, was it by fighting for personal freedom? Did it come from some domineering king? Or did it come through a suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who willingly laid down his life in order that we might be reconciled to God? Let's look at Ephesians 2, 13 through 21. It says, But now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, unified, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. How? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and member of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, in whom, excuse me, uh, among the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So how is peace, unity, harmony able to take place today? It's through the cross. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us were enemies of God, and it's only through Jesus and his atoning work on the cross that we are able to be brought to peace and be brought to unity with God. 
I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. You cannot create unity. You and I are charged to eagerly maintain unity. Jesus is the one that made unity possible. It's Jesus who brings unity. You and I are charged to maintain unity. You and I can disrupt, hinder, perhaps even destroy some of that unity. A few weeks ago, we talked about this in Proverbs 6, the warning of the one who sows discord among the family of God. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We talked about this as we went through Proverbs 6, but that last line, one who sows discord among brothers, is ultimately the thing in which God hates. Yes, God hates those other five things that are there, but they all lead up to that last part, one who sows discord among brothers. There is a warning as followers of Jesus to avoid division. God cares deeply about the unity of his church. And so he has a lot to say in this. And as we begin to continue to move forward here, there are things in scripture where we're called to press into when it comes to maintaining the unity and bond of peace. And there are also things to avoid. And so we're going to look at this through Titus 2, 11 through 3, 11. For those of you maybe who are new or newish, uh, maybe this is the first time you're hearing us reference this passage, um, but it's something that's been running through my heart like crazy. And I think it is a passage that we need to understand, that we need to sit under during this time because it has so much to speak into this moment in which we're in. So we're gonna start, generally I just talk about Titus 3, but I wanna start back at Titus 2 in verse 11 because I think there's this beautiful context building up here. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And notice where we go next here. This is really, really important. So we've got this raw, raw speech from, from Paul, this huge encouragement and write in step, let do all of these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Hiya! But the next verse in Titus 3 1 is challenging in light of all of that. It says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward some people or people just that I agree with, 
people who are already my friends. No, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Does that passage maybe feel like it kind of, sort of, might relate to some things that we're walking through right now? Of course it does. And we're not going to teach through the whole thing this morning. I want us to identify and look at, and there's going to be a slide on the screen here, where we have a list of things to avoid in Titus 3, and we have a list of things to be or pursue in Titus 3. And these are all connected to unity, eager to maintain the spirit of unity. This is what he says. So here's a list of things to avoid. Quarreling, speaking evil of anyone, foolish controversies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, and divisiveness. The word of God is telling us if we want to maintain the unity of the saints, if we want to do this, we are to avoid these things. These are to not be our character traits. And on the flip side, we have the, the be or pursue side of things. Titus 3 tells us to be obedient to God and governing authorities. Full stop. I, the, the qualify here to this, and we see this in other parts of Scripture, that if God gives clear commands and our governing authorities give clear commands and our governing authorities are contradicting or telling us to do something that the Word of God clearly commands us to do, we will say to our governing authorities, I must please God and not man. But if our governing authorities are asking us to do things that are not clear commands, but may be affecting us in some capacity, in some major ways. I don't even want to downplay that. I don't see a way, if we're wanting to sit under the word of God, to get away from that. So we are to be and to pursue obedience to God and governing authorities. 
two times, and if we go into Titus 2, it's actually three times, this be ready for good works or devoted to good works. This is the idea that you guys, you and I, we are meant to serve. We are meant to use our hands and our feet. We are to involve our body in service to Yahweh. Be ready, be devoted, be diligent for good works. What else are we called to be in Titus 3? Be gentle. Be gentle. It's not uh, the highest list on many, especially guys, but I'm sure amongst gals too. It's not high on the list, on their virtue list. Of you, you know what I'm really striving for right now? Gentleness. And yet it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's what we're called to do here in Titus 3. It's what we're called to do. It's part of the qualifications for any elder. It's what we see in Colossians 2. It's all throughout scripture. Be gentle. And then how about the one that I think all of us really are struggling? We are to be perfectly courteous to all people. Does that not sound exhausting to any of you? Because that that sounds a little bit exhausting to me. And I'm a people pleaser. I'm pretty good at it. call to be perfectly courteous to all people, whether or not they agree with you or not. This even goes beyond the household of faith. It's an invitation to be courteous, to give others honor, to be hospitable. This is all just from Titus. We're not even getting into all the other one another's. We have like Ephesians 4.2, which talks about bearing with one another in love. Ephesians... 432 in Colossians 3, forgiving one another. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to bear with one another. We're called in Romans 15, 5, to live in harmony with one another. <clears throat> We're called to, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, do good to one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, to comfort one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. One another's help show us how to live in unity. And Titus 3 helps us see things to avoid, to help maintain that unity. But the final question for us as we begin to wind down is, how do we actually do these one another's? How could we possibly do it? Because if you try and do all of this on your own, you'll be able to maybe muster it up for a little while, but ultimately you're gonna fall flat. I wasn't lying, that thought of being courteous to all people sounds exhausting. It sounds way better to me to, well, I'm not a road rage guy. I wish I could tell you, I know a lot of people, it's just not my thing. But like, I'm sure it would feel better to yell at somebody as they're cutting you off. Sorry, that was probably a little hot. Uh, but you know, what? What does it look like for us to be able to bless somebody instead of yelling at them or whatever? But you guys, if we are trying to do the one another's, if we are trying to 
keep the bond of peace on our own, we will fail. Why? Because you weren't the one who earned it in the first place. You weren't the one who made peace possible. Jesus was. If we have any hopes to maintain unity together, to be eager, that that picture of being eager, it's like, I'm desiring. What do I want to do? I want to help keep the peace. I want to help maintain the peace. I'm not creating the peace. I'm actually upholding the peace, the unity in which Jesus made possible for you and I. And I don't know that many of us are in that space where we are eagerly desiring to help maintain the unity. The only way we can really do that, the only way we can really do that is if we truly have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If we look at Philippians 2, Verse one, it gives us a little bit of, and this is in the context of unity, but we don't have time to go through all of it. He says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from my love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love in full accord in one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I just want to look at the, ver- the first verse here because I think in this verse, as we begin to wind down, we see four ways in which God helps equip us to preserve the unity of the saints. The first, that God has given us encouragement in Christ. Christ has come alongside us. He is with us to the end of the age. That's the promise that we see in Matthew 28. This is something that all followers of Jesus have in common. This is a commonality. Anybody who claims Jesus, anybody who's a follower of Jesus, God has given each of us encouragement in Christ. The encourage is the coming alongside. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. We have this all in common. The second thing that we see here, any comfort from his love. God has given us comfort from Christ's love. Each and every one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, have received the love of Christ when we put our faith in Jesus. It's there that we're born again. Remember Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died on our behalf. So one, God has given us encouragement in Christ. That's a common thing for every single follower of Jesus. Two, God has given us comfort from Christ's love. If we are going to maintain unity, we must remember the love of God. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. If we have not love, we are like a clanging cymbal, right? The harmony picture once again, a gong that is just sounding out. If we don't have love, we're going to miss it. We will not be able to maintain a unity without Christ's love. The third thing is God has given us fellowship with the Spirit. When we are saved, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit and baptized into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We're all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're given one spirit to drink. 
The Spirit is with us. He's given us fellowship with the Spirit. This is both a commonality and a resource. All of us have this in common. We have the Spirit. It also is a He's a resource to help maintain the unity of the saints. And what does the Spirit produce? It produces much of what we talked about in Titus 3. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We preserve unity by walking in step with the Spirit. The fourth thing is God has given us tenderness and compassion. This is any affection and sympathy. Affection, tenderness, it's, it's actually the word bowels in the Greek. It's the deepest feelings. And I know some of you are like, uh-uh, that's not me. I don't, I don't feel, I'm like a stone, I'm calloused. I just want, I know... I know that we have tendencies, but the promise of the new covenant is that he would take away our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Here we see that God actually gives you and I, his followers, tenderness and compassion. The key is do we want it? The key is are we asking for it? This is a resource that God has given you so that you and I may walk in unity and harmony with each other. We must have tender hearts. We must be compassionate. If we don't have this, unity will go out the window because we'll just hurt each other and become offended and take off. And all of this isn't magic, friends. This all takes work. This all takes a willingness to desire to maintain the unity and bond of peace, a desire to sit under the word of God, a desire to, to not lose sight of the gospel reality that Jesus saved me, a sinner, one who is chief of sinners. He has saved me, redeemed me, brought me back into the kingdom of the beloved son. He has lavished his love, his grace, his mercy upon me. And now he's called me into relationship with others to be unified, to be whole. Why? So this world might know that he has sent us. And so brothers and sisters, my hope for us is that we would go on this journey together. That we would desire to grow in maintaining the unity in which Jesus has made possible through the cross. But we can't do it alone. And at the same time, it takes individual effort to engage in preserving the unity of the saints. Let me pray for you and me. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, we ask, I just pray for some of my friends perhaps where an experience of your love is maybe a distant thing. Maybe it's like, oh, I remember this one moment when I was in junior high at Forest Home. And it's been a while since they have experienced a, a, a fresh encounter of your love. And I just pray, even though this is one of the strangest mediums to do this, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour your love out on your sons and your daughters, that it would be received. Lord, we ask that you continue to give us willing hearts to respond, to repent where it's necessary. And I just ask, Lord, that you would forgive us 
Forgive me for sometimes not for, for not being eager to maintain the unity of the saints. Would we be overwhelmed and overjoyed that Jesus, you make unity possible? That you have made us whole. And from that, would our desire to maintain the unity which you've made possible, would that continue to take place in our lives? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond in uh, four ways right now. We respond through communion. And so wherever you're at, if you're with others, we invite you to grab a piece of bread, uh, uh, some wine or some juice it represents the blood of Christ. We invite you this morning or this afternoon or whenever you're reading or engaging in this, that you would take this, that you would be reminded that, that Jesus' life was given, his body was laid out for you and I. His blood was shed in order that we might be unified with him, that we no longer would be enemies or aliens, but we have been brought near and we are now part of the family of God. And so take this, and as you do, know that you are eating this with other brothers and sisters around the county and around the world who are a part of this body, that we must be eager to maintain this unity. So take it in remembrance of him. We also give, which is part of our worship, and we invite you to do that online. Uh, and then uh, we invite you to receive prayer if you're with others. Take some time to pray in response, maybe even right now. If you have prayer requests, feel free to email our elders at camarilloelders at anthemchurch.org. We'd love to pray for you. And finally, we're going to take a, a few minutes to sing together, glorifying our incredible, amazing Jesus.